Hi, everyone, and welcome to our podcast at the Rectory. I'm Ian. I'm Katie. And I'm Emily. We are three friends who at some point or another all lived in a tiny blue house in Cincinnati that we have affectionately named the Rectory. And together, we have filled it with... Memories. Long hours of PhD work. Parties. And a saggy three-legged couch we just can't seem to part with. I like that. Musical sting. On the fourth anniversary of the Parkland School shooting, we really wanted to bring you this breakout episode. We have to talk about how public violence is impacting our younger generations. And in order to do this, we really wanted to begin our episode by naming the names and saying the names of some of the victims of these shooting events. Columbine school shooting, April 20th, 1999, 13 people were killed. Cassie Bernal, 17. Kevin Kernow, 14. Kelly Fleming, 16. Kyle Velasquez, 16. Sandy Hook shooting, December 14th, 2012. 27 people were killed. Olivia Engel, 6. Jesse Lewis, 6. Noah Posner, 6. Grace McDonald, 7. Parkland school shooting, February 14th, 2018, 17 people died. Martin Duke, 14. Nick Durrett, 17. Jamie Gutenberg, 16. Alyssa Al-Hadef, 14. Oxford school shooting, November 30th, four people lost their lives. Tate Meyer, 16. Hannah St. Juliana, 17. Madison Baldwin, 17. Justin Schilling, 17. We also discussed the wrongful deaths of the following at the hands of police officers. Tamir Rice, 12. Amir Locke, 22. And we also want to name Breon Taylor, 26. And Samuel DeBose, 43. Please join us in a moment of silence to remember these victims. Awesome. And can well, you introduce us to Emma? Yeah, yeah. Thanks. Yeah, we got all situated. Um, so everyone, this is Emma. Emma, this is everyone. So um, the lady with the headphones is Emma. Emily. Nice to meet you. And then Katie with the dark hair. Uh, this mm-hmm. podcast is named after the house that we used to live in in Cincinnati. And Katie and Emily are there now. And then Katie and Emily, this is Emma. She was in my uh, writing class last semester. Um, a really excellent writer. And she happened to have a really important presentation on our like last day of class. Um, And it was something that I was like, wow, this really hit the center of this room. Everyone was talking. Everyone was contributing. It was really important. 
like topic and subject and a lot came out of that that like had me thinking for like a few days after and I feel like that's a sign of like just good writing and good communication um do you sell your services to teachers who can't get their students to talk will you make an appearance like Lindsay Lohan at a discotheque and like throw a bomb into the room (laughs) well that's the thing like it could always count on Emma to like say something like good you know and like encourage other people to talk yeah Emma would you be willing to just tell us like your degree track that you're on and like that kind of stuff to set us up a little background absolutely Mm -hmm. I'm actually from Michigan um I am I mean this isn't really important but to my family kind of is I am the second child uh I have an older brother who also my dad is a diehard Michigan fan let me just leave with that (laughs) Um, And both of his kids came to Ohio for school. And I think we actually broke his heart. Um, (laughs) But I am from like right outside of Detroit. I was a creative writing major when Anne had me. I did change (laughs) um, because it just didn't fit me as well as I thought it was going to. Um, So now I am a fashion merchandising and product development major with a track to become a buyer for target i actually have an internship my junior year already lined up so i'm gonna try to do all that and yeah that's me awesome yeah emma's a mover and a shaker she does a lot of things i actually just joined another club that uh i started yesterday and i had to call my mom to ask if i was crazy because i wanted to become vice president of it already (laughs) so what's that second club it's um a like retailing club where we just like kind of set up our um resumes and like all this other stuff and then every January we go to New York for a retail like conference and we meet with a lot of like Vogue and Louis Vuitton and like all of them and we kind of like discuss business strategies so that's kind of cool yeah kind of cool that's awesome that's really great (laughs) thank you but all of that to lead into, um, this is kind of going to be kind of a serious um, topic and podcast. So our theme for this season has been what people do in their after hours. But every so often we have a breakthrough episode talking about a really like important um, kind of topical issue. And we call those, we have to talk. So this is going to be another version of we have to talk. And we're going to talk about school shootings. That's our kind of theme for today. I'm going to let um, Emma take it away with Oxford High School shooting. How did this connect with you? Um, why is this topic important to you? And you can just kind of run with it from your personal experience. And that's what I'm interested in. That's what we're, we want to hear. As I said, I'm from Michigan. And um, right before I was giving this presentation in Anne's class, I heard about the Oxford shooting from my little cousin who actually went to Oxford. And I think she actually just transferred because of the school shooting, but she did go there and she called me because I had, when I was in high school, I had five school shooting threats and one that they actually caught the kid with the gun on the bus um, when they like canceled class halfway through the day. So um, I had a lot of experience growing up with this, a lot of different things within my family as well. Um, I had a cousin who had literally just transferred a month before the Parkland shooting to a private school and then he lost his best friend in the Parkland shooting so I had a lot of experience and when my little cousin called me and she told me that all this was happening and that all these kids were passing away and like were injured or what was going on and terrified she sounded I just knew and like the timing was just insane because I was building up this presentation 
and then this happens and it's not very far from my house so it was just kind of crazy so in the beginning of my presentation I made it kind of like a a statement like this is what has happened like right now this is why it's like learning about school shootings and learning how to keep yourself safe and like as a parent even like I know my mom was absolutely terrified when I got taken back from school and like had to come home early because they found a boy with a gun in his backpack so like I kind of wanted to make it a point like you need to be able to know like how to protect your kid but also what's the right protocols and like as a kid what's the right protocols and also to honor these kids who while yes there's been oh gosh I think there's one from like 2001 I have on here but that's a while like it's 2022 mm-hmm. but even mm-hmm. still like it's still happening it's still relevant and we can't just forget about these kids that are passing away from tragic events like this yeah I was I wanted to open it up also to Katie and Emily I don't know did you have any experiences like what Emma was sharing um about did you have active shooter drills in high school were there um, you know, threats that were handled, like what, what's your guys' experience with this too? Yeah, I mean, I was in high school from 2009 to 2013. So school shootings were like fairly commonplace by the time I entered high school. We didn't have any at my high school, fortunately. We, the most that we had was, we did have like a stabbing incident Um, where someone just, like, brought a knife to school and stabbed someone that had been bullying him. But, yeah, thankfully no active shooters. Um, But I would be interested to hear what Katie says, because she was kind of, like, a little... She was in high school, like, earlier than me, so I don't know what it was like So I was in high school from 1996, fall of 1996, until spring of 2000. And so I was in high school when the Columbine shooting happened. And that was, and I know like violence against teachers and violence in schools is as old as time. Mm -hmm. But the Columbine shooting was really the thing that like kicked off school shootings being in the zeitgeist. Mm -hmm. And it was a huge deal. And I remember a couple things happening, which one was a lot of my peers felt extreme fear And then if there was any kind of threat or rumor of a threat, um, kids would stay home from school, their parents would pull them out of school, or some kids use that as an excuse. They were like, oh, I'm terrified, I can't possibly be here, and then would go to the park for the day. Um, But the other thing was, I remember, I'm not sure um, if you guys, if this is still part of like cultural memory, but the two young men who, by the way, were not bullied, they were bullies, who Mm -hmm. shot up Columbine, wore these long dark trench coats and that became like a big figure like visual image of that shooting and i remember the day after the shooting there were a couple kids who came to school in that outfit um to my high school and how incendiary that was uh because they thought well it was an edgy like an edge lord thing i don't know what that is but i assume being like edgy yeah so yeah and that then i mean i was in middle school when the oklahoma city bombing happened and then i was in college when 9 11 happened so these public acts of violence were really shaping how we thought about being in public spaces Mm. uh but it feels like the the real trend in specifically school shootings happened later Mm. i don't know if trend's the right word like people the public caring about it and thinking about it um historically absolutely 
yeah, this very palpable fear and uncertainty about where are we safe and, and how do we know that we're safe? Emma, can you just talk a little bit more about how does this feel? I think I'm so interested in your generation's perspective on this because especially the Parkland shooting um, and all of those student activists that just like arose out of that incident to say, we're not going to be silent, voiceless victims anymore. Like these were our friends and we're going to talk about it. And we are going to kind of take the ownership of this because we're not seeing change kind of on the upper levels. Can you talk about maybe your generation and, and that kind of clarion call of Parkland shooting and how do you guys feel about this and what are, what are you doing? Yeah, absolutely. So that's actually one of the things I was just thinking about um, as Katie was talking is my generation never saw like a tragedy like that. You know, we haven't, mm. we never saw 9-11 school shootings and COVID were like the only two things that we've ever seen as like tragedies or as like something life-changing. And personally, and you will probably remember this, um, I wrote my, po- or did my podcast for the paper on like a letter I wrote when I was 15 years old. I'm now mm. 19, so a lot has changed, but like at 15 I was writing about this fear and like how am I supposed to feel okay and like I felt like a lot of my peers felt the same way like the kids my age how am I supposed to feel okay walking into a school when you never know if you're gonna be safe and you never know if you're gonna like if something could happen that day like I don't think any of like the Parkland kids or the Oxford kids or any of the kids that have been involved in school shootings would have thought oh today I'm gonna go to school and there's gonna be a school shooter you know So, like, that's completely so shocking and, like, heartbreaking to my generation, I think, because it's kids that we have grown up with or played sports against or, you know, it's all these different things. And we end up watching the news and seeing them being on there as, like, in the hospital, like, how Justin Schilling, like, he was in the hospital for four days after the Oxford shooting and nobody knew what was going to happen. They had a candlelight visual outside of his room and then he passed away later that night. Mm. It's just, a, it's a tragedy to our generation, but it's also a tragedy to every other generation as well. Cause this isn't been the first time, but I think because my generation, mm-hmm. not to brag, but my generation's a lot more like, you know, they're out there. They're ready to talk. Mm-hmm. We want to sit down the older generations and be like, listen, this is who we are. And we're not going to change that. We're going to, we're going to sit here and we're going to tell you like, this is how it is. And we're the next generation. So if we have to change the world while you're still in it, then we'll do it. But you're going to have to like compromise. <laughs> Absolutely. I think what one of the moments in your presentation, Emma, that just like chilled me was, I think you asked the question or I asked the question, like, when was the first time you remember doing uh, an active shooter training? And for me, it was high school. I think I was a junior in high school before we ever did like even like a drill, like an active shooter drill. Mm -hmm. And there were students who said, I remember doing them in elementary school. Yeah, absolutely. I I did them in elementary school. I had my first school shooting or bomb threat was in sixth grade at my middle school. And I remember so vividly like, okay, this is what they taught us in third grade. Like we got to, you know, and like I sat in a classroom, Mm -hmm. I think, my sixth grade year, I sat in the art room. I remember remember this so vividly for no reason because it was a fake bomb threat. But at the same time, I sat in the art room for four hours of the day because they were afraid to let us roam the like go to our next classes. And like, mm-hmm. I was what like eleven, 
Mm-hmm. So like that's just to me like and it's getting younger now like yeah. they're starting them off in kindergarten or preschool. Yeah. Mm-hmm. One of our students shared that um she was in elementary school and they didn't tell them it was a drill because they wanted mm-hmm. them to react as it, you know, how they would react. Um and she was in a computer lab and the teacher had them like have scissors out and hide underneath the like desk as a like third grader. Oh. Um that's not going to, I think the thing that, I think the reason we want to have this conversation is that is not going to not leave a mark. That's not, that's a traumatic experience. And these mm-hmm. are consistent experiences that our children are having. And these, these young people growing up in high school are having, and how do we, how do we address this? How do we have this conversation? How do we keep talking about it? Cause it seems like it, it like, comes up and then everyone just moves on because we're so desensitized but do you guys have any reactions to that well a i never did shooter drills ever b it what really makes me frustrated and what's so amazing is how parents are showing up to protest critical race theory which is not even being taught in schools and and, masks and masks and and teaching mouse and mm-hmm. we're not we're not putting i'm not seeing the same demographics of people putting out effort to say we will not tolerate this level of gun access which is murdering our children and a lot of these people are in the same demographic that are very very strongly pro life when it comes to pregnancy termination mm-hmm. and at the same time when there's a school shooting the first thing i see come out from someone like james dobson is we have to protect the first amendment and it makes me want to break things i mean i think it's sad speaking of older generations i think about like i have older cousins that have children that are in middle school or elementary school and i think it's also really sad for them because they're sending their kids to school you know, not knowing if they're safe. They get to have their kids come home when they have one of those drills that maybe they don't know it's a drill and they get to deal with whatever fallout there is or if there is a real event that happens. I think the older generations do also feel that trauma. It's just kind of like different because it kind of ripples out. Yeah. Yeah. I can't imagine being a parent and sending your child to school right now. It's insane. No, I completely agree. I have actually, um, my mom's best friend has a five-year-old daughter. And when I was home for winter break, I went over there a lot just to babysit or like just to hang out. And she made her daughter go in the other room and she told us, listen, they just had a school shooter drill at Gracie's school. And she came home and she was like, mommy, they said that somebody in the school had a gun she's the most precious thing in the entire world i swear i love this little girl to death and to mm-hmm. hear that like hear that being said from somebody who you care about and while it might not be your kid it's still like wow you're watching this happen or like them asking questions and like how are you supposed to answer those questions you know because it's, mm-hmm. it's not like you can be like oh well this has been happening for a while and it's kind of normalized but at the same right. time we still need to talk about it and we need to prepare for it yeah it's just insanity and 
I feel like the same people who are protesting something like masks or um, these books in schools that are appropriate, they're all about, like, protecting the innocence of the children, right? But then you have five-year-olds who know and have to confront the loss of life of their friends, and we can talk about Sandy Hook, and we can, I mean, these are things that are happening to all kinds of age ranges. This isn't just high school students. And so, what, like, what, what about that? So we pick and choose, right? Like, what we want to protect and what we don't want to protect. And it's so, so messy. Mm-hmm. Emma, because, um, Anne, what's yeah. the connecting thread to all of these things? It's patriarchy. That it looks on their own. It's like, how are these things possibly connected? <laughs> how are these people who are so strongly against abortion, against wearing masks to protect the medically vulnerable, um, you know, are against teaching about racism in schools because it is white normative patriarchy. That is what all this is protecting. It's controlling women's bodies. And at the bottom of this is all violence, right? Violence is what creates unequal systems and maintains them. So if you are able to take violence out of the system, the people at the top lose power. Mm. So that's why Mm. it's important when you are quote unquote pro-life to also be pro-death penalty against any kinds of common sense gun control, controlling (laughs) access to information in schools about a wide, about uh, revealing the violence inherent in the system to quote Holy Grail, Mm. because this is about power and the particular power structure we live under is white patriarchy. Amen. (laughs) Katie, is it too late to change your dissertation topic? (laughs) It's too late. But actually, I was writing my, my the chapter. Sorry, the chapter I'm reworking right now. I was like, the reason why all this is happening and people are freaking out is patriarchy. So it's in there. So Steve and Hannah, you can get out your little uh, bingo card that you use for all of your interactions <laughs> with me and fill out yet another another square on your bingo card. <laughs> Every bingo card except for the free space just says patriarchy. Oh, my God. It's so helpful to look at that, though, because, like, it feels like a logical leaps that people are making or people are picking and choosing what they're interested in. And so when you can see kind of this rationale that's kind of underneath, then it's like, oh, you start connecting these weird dots. Right. Because um, we're uh, pro-police when they're, only, when they're shooting black people. Mm-hmm. But we're anti-police when they're standing in the way of us overthrowing the election that keeps white patriarchy and power right right that's why those two things fit perfectly together we live in weird times yeah have you told them about bible bob <gasps> oh jesus because that's Emma, a whole topic tell, we can talk about tell them about bible bob. i have i have feelings like deep betrayed feelings about bible bob all right no. all right he is a man who stands in the middle of the union with a sign that says on only one side, trigger warning, and then the other side is a baby that is aborted. Very vivid details, all right? Like, he yells about how abortion is a sin and all of these things on a college campus. Bible Bob brings up very deep emotions for a lot of people, and we, like, actually talked about, like, why why is he on campus? He's on campus to preach this to younger girls. I have not seen that sign. I feel you like haven't? I've seen his burn in hell signs. Oh, yeah, that one too. But I have not seen this new iteration. So he it's he's awful. just the typical, like, the worst. My roommate came home 
And she told me about the sign and we went by and we saw it. And I literally had her hold my head because I like thought I was going to puke. To tie back to like patriarchy. Yeah. This like the guys can swing on past and they're like, I guess this is a topic of conversation. And the women feel this visceral. I'm wrong. What I do is wrong. Like this like really deep accusation. It's a very personal thing. And so people were reacting to these signs like people were tolerating them more because they didn't feel personally attacked. In my other class, we had a couple non-binary students Mm -hmm. and we were talking about this and they said, uh, and this was when they had the burn in hell stuff and then like homosexuality and all these like terms, Mm -hmm. Old Testament terms, right? And they were talking about it and these students were like, so where is he located and how can we avoid this? And one of my students like immediately chirped up and said, I will walk you to your next class. I will make sure that you don't encounter him because he also yells. Mm -hmm. So it's not like you can just put your headphones in. Like he yells and you can still hear him. Yeah. And so I really loved that moment of solidarity in recognizing that like maybe she necessarily, the student who offered to walk them to class wasn't necessarily like targeted by that version of Bible Bob, but she recognized another group who was and who would feel incredibly attacked and very vulnerable and was like, I will handle this. The guys were like, I guess it gets their point across. And the women in Emma's class were like, no. <laughs> oh, we destroyed them. <laughs> we destroyed their egos. We took them right back down to the ground and said, listen up. At the end of the day, it is what we are producing. So I don't really want to hear you talk about like how you feel about it, unless you're carrying around 10 to 15 pounds on your stomach like no emma so one of my chapters in my dissertation is about circumcision let me tell you the look on the faces of well anybody that i tell about it but my male friends (laughs) were were sometimes like why 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 are we why are you talking about this and i'm like yeah tables have turned haven't they bros i'm writing all about you (laughs) (laughs) i love that (laughs) and that's like the other thing too like they if we went around started talking to them like oh you should get circumcised you know like Mm -hmm. they would throw temper tantrums like we're not out here throwing temper tantrums we're just telling them facts telling them how it is they're gonna throw temper tantrums or emma if we could make laws requiring it and requiring them to get like they're sex tied <laughs> like yeah. until they're married. Like we've decided all of us female legislatures of which, you know, we are the, all of the, all of the legislators, boys, once you turn 12, you have to get your tubes tied until your wife, you know, lets you get them untied because she's ready to get pregnant. Men. Well, actually what they would do is murder us. They wouldn't just throw a temper tantrum, but mm-hmm. yeah. Birth. Okay. Birth control. That is one <laughs> thing that I, when you said all that, that is the one thing that came to my mind. Oh, a man who asks you if you're on the pill, I swear it like, uh, why? Like, wh- you can't like handle your needs and like mm-hmm. everything all being safe. But like you expect us because we're female and because we're more responsible than you. And you clearly know that to like handle it all. Like, no, this is like, if, if you're going to do all that, then you like, you need to at least take some responsibility. You think you're an adult mm-hmm. enough to do that take responsibility before you end up with a child because there's gonna be some girls that are gonna be like I'm not taking responsibility you're not taking responsibility and then she ends up pregnant and that's what it's not always the girl's responsibility and I feel like guys don't generally get there they just think about what's gonna feel good to them and that's just bullshit 
<laughs> I knew I wanted to have Emma on the podcast because of this. This was just so good. Well, because we to connect back to violence and everything, we also talked in class about um, women's experience of violence and some mm. of the things that we do. So it kind of connects back to school shootings in that there are all these practices now in place that are supposed to protect us from the thing because mm. we can't move stuff forward enough to actually protect us from the violence. So um, things like walking home um, with friends, things like parking under streetlights, things like carrying your keys. Like we were saying some of the things that we do and the guys were just like sitting there with like huge eyes. They were like, mm-hmm. no way. I yep. never think like this. Well, and so- even after that class, jo- Joey, who's my best friend and also my neighbor, um, was also in Ann's class and he sat right next to me every day and when I spoke up and said something about it because I as you can see I'm not very quiet <laughs> um, especially in her class I was not so Joey would look at me and he would just be like astounded at what I was like saying or like things that like happen and he like after class he pulled me aside and he was like were you telling the truth or were you just like making up a fairy tale and I was like I want to see you dress up as a female and try to walk to your car at night I just want to see it. Like, just just tell me you can do that because I can promise you right now there's going to be a lot of fear when a boy whirls out of his window as he passes you and yells, what's up, little mama? And now he gets it. Like, with me, my roommate, Joey, and his roommate, we all have codes for, like, I almost got kidnapped walking home in the broad daylight one day, <sighs> and come, like, first week here at BG. And I called Joey, and Joey was like, you're kidding. Like, you're just joking around. And so now, like, once he realized I wasn't, we have code names like, hey, I need you to go switch my laundry. And Joey knows like to come and find us. It was awesome to have that moment of awareness for the guys in that class. And then in some of my other classes who they had siblings, they had sisters or they had girlfriends. They said, if I'm walking home and I happen to be walking, just happen to be walking in the same direction of a girl and I'm following her, I take another route home. I do not Mm -hmm. continue to follow her or I stop on my phone until she's out of sight because people have shared with me that that is distressing to them. Mm -hmm. Or I'm the person that people call if they need a ride home. I'm, you know, that they have taken it um, onto themselves to be proactive. And I think those, there were only two of them who shared that, but the other guys in the room were like, oh, I could do that modeling for each other the behavior that they should do in order to not be threatening and to Mm -hmm. be aware in that sometimes just existing is a threat because of the systemic violence that women have suffered. Also can be true for white people and people of color. Um, A friend of mine uh, at my home church in Columbus, who's uh, about, she's probably like a generation and a half, two generations older than me. She once, I don't remember where she was driving, but she saw, um, she's a white lady, my friend, and she saw an African-American woman walking home with like a bunch of bags. And mm-hmm. she kind of pulled her car up close, was like, hey, can I, can I give you a lift? And this lady was just like, and this was probably in the 70s or 80s, just mm-hmm. reacted with fear. And my friend couldn't, figure out what the problem was was kind of like looking behind the lady like is there somebody behind Mm -hmm. her and she sort of like she tried to engage with her for a minute and then left and went home and asked somebody else about it and they said she was afraid of you because Mm -hmm. you're white 
And they were both women. And my friend said she had never, ever contemplated that she would look like a threat or make someone else feel threatened. Mm -hmm. And she had to change the way she interacted with other people with that new knowledge. And mm -hmm. I was so impressed talking. I mean, this woman, actually, she's probably in her late 80s now. It doesn't look a day over 55, I swear. Um, to hear her go, to go through that process of realization too, uh, Anne. You operate differently in the world and you understand that you're like, I'm not just always the safe person. Sometimes I look like the scary person. And a lot of the guys in those classes felt really resentful of that. They were like, I'm not, I'm mm. not like that. I don't do that. I'm not scary. And they had to hear from their mm. peers that sometimes, yeah, you are, even if you're yeah. fine. Exactly. That's, that was like the big thing for me too, especially going off of Katie's story about the lady. But I had a best friend who was, he was African-American. Well, he still is my best friend. I don't know why I said was, but anyways. He's, I thought you were going to say, back home. he's still African-American. Oh, good. <laughs> well, yeah, yeah. And he still is. That too. But, um, but he's back home. And when we were in high school, we would always do these things where we would go study at Applebee's every once in a blue moon, like when we were having a test or something, we had it in the same class. Or even if we didn't, we just wanted food. And I'm very goofy. And so is he. And so we'd like throw French fries at each other or something. And a lady came over to me, like an older white lady came over to me and she was like, are you in danger? Are you okay? Like, what is going on? And I, I looked at her like she was insane. Like, I was like, what are you talking about? I'm sitting at Applebee's having like wings and fries with a Coke. Do I look like I'm in danger? Like I have homework next to me. He's got homework in front of him. Like what? Like, how are you taking that into concept? And I looked at him and I was like, she thinks it's because he's black. And I looked at her, I said, oh, I am more than fine. I grabbed his hand and put it right on the table. I said, I am more than fine. Thank you, ma'am. And she walked away and she like looked at me disgusted as she walked away, but I didn't care because that's my friend. Oh my and gosh. don't even get me started on that. I'll rant. <laughs> well, that's the same people seen as a threat in terms of police shootings. We have this, this mm -hmm. kind of this bias of danger when we see young African-American men. Um, and it's this, we have to confront this and we have to eradicate it. When you can roll up on an 11 year old and you don't even stop to ask what, you know, what's going on, you shoot practically from the police vehicle because you're so terrified and it's so awful. Um, and so it's just like, we can't live in a world where we're not asking questions and we're not understanding all of the undercurrents of how we're perceiving each other and safety in the world it has huge consequences and they rolled up on that 11 year old because he had a toy gun yeah and we simultaneously protect guns and fear them and they give us and who we shoot and who we're afraid of and how like gun violence is masculinized yeah it all comes back to it comes back to guns too the most recent example of that is probably like the most recent police shooting in Minneapolis. Samir Locke, yep. um, the police had a no-knock warrant and they went into the correct apartment and they saw Amir on the couch and they assumed that he, first of all, lived in the apartment and they also thought he had a gun and so they just shot him before he even knew what was happening. 
and he was black. And so everybody's kind of like, well, where are the guns rights activists now? You know, because he did. Um, it turns out he had a gun, but he was allowed to have it. It was his. It was registered and everything, if I understand. And he was laying on a couch in yeah. an apartment, not yeah. out bothering anyone. Yeah. And the other thing is, like, it turns out it wasn't his apartment. He was just visiting a friend and spent the night. So it's like, if you were staying at a friend's house and someone just opened the door in the middle of the night, that's what people have a gun for if they're having a gun for personal protection. That's a very sad and I think telling thing. Yeah, we actually had a police officer knock on our door at two o'clock in the morning. It's been like oh, four yeah, or five months did. ago now. And I felt a huge amount of fear at really until I knew it was a police officer and I could see him through the door. But having someone pound on my door at two o'clock in the morning, I was like dripping with sweat. I was so afraid. See, that's why I sleep with a Louisville slugger underneath my bed. Because, right. you know, like if, if somebody's pounding at my door, they like, better be ready to catch these hands because I'm not like I'm not dealing mm -hmm. with that. Uh-uh. And if we think about, like, we think about what that does, like, even, like, Emma deciding to, like, sleep with a baseball bat under her bed, right? It's, like, it takes pre-planning and thought to, like, how do I be safe? People of color living in fear of the police car, you know, that might pull them over for a speeding ticket and then it ends up being, or uh, some other minor traffic violation or just because they want to. And yeah. it's like, you're living in a state of terror where you are making judgment calls and looking at the world in a particular way that shapes you. And that's what was so shocking about Emma's presentation and everyone in that classroom having an experience or a story of doing a drill or being terrified or being afraid. And it made them think about the world differently. It made them see things and do a, a mental calculation that I was like, I did, I do not have that frame or lens to see the world. Emma, can you talk like, can you talk about how you think school shootings and things like the violence that you see in the world with police shootings and things has shaped like your generation? And how do you, how do you see the world? Are you optimistic about the future? Like, cause you think you can change it or are you really pessimistic? To me, I think my generation is split in half. Like it's both positive and negative. Like, cause mm. looking at the world, you can either, I mean, I think it's for everybody as well, not just my generation, but like you can either pick like, okay, we can change this or we can pick, you know, like this is how it is. And like, you just kind of have to live with it. And like, I grew up in a household where that was kind of the mindset was, this is the world. Welcome to it. Like, sorry about it. Mm. And I yeah. am not that person. I was made that way, but I am not that person. Like I, if I could literally stand on top of Mount Everest and scream, like, like be nice to each other. Like, what is the <laughs> problem with that? Like, I don't understand why, like, and like, I feel like if more people, like, I feel like my generation, they could totally be like, hey, listen, like, starting from here on out, we are all going to be nice to each other. We're not going to do this. We've seen how the generations before us, racists were, like, taught to their children, and mm -hmm. let's not do that. Let's just learn from their mistakes and move on. And I feel like it does take a village to do that. Yeah. But until then, I guess we just keep fighting. I like that. And I've seen that like as a as a teacher of people who are in this like early stage of their adulthood and are figuring things out and are making some changes and and deconstructing some of the things that they've been taught. Like there's so much hope and kindness that is there. And then 
that flip side of what you've also talked about is that like fear shapes people and can make them hard and can make them kind of like, I guess this is just the way the world works. And I guess we just have to live in it or, or deal with it however we can. And sometimes that can make us callous. I was remembering, cause we've been kind of throwing some shade at older generations, but my parents were part of the duck and cover generation where nuclear war yeah. was just like such a present thing that they were taught as small children to climb under their desk and like prepare for a nuclear attack. And yeah. they, so I was asking him about that and he's like, yeah, I, I guess I always grew up and looked in the world, looked at the world and I didn't think I would have a future. And I do think that there's something about this generation that's like, yeah, we can make some changes in the future. Like the future will be better, but I'm afraid of this. It's kind of feels like a real sticky web of the future might not be better. We have climate change. We have all these things that just like can really make us look at the future as like a really dark place too. So I want to acknowledge, I want to acknowledge that too. So I completely agree. That's, it's definitely like there's different scenarios. I would say that, that like a lot of people go through and like more so how you were talking about like the nuclear drills and everything like that's something we never had to learn and so like that's something crazy to even think about like having to be in like a war zone all the time like we've never even seen war you know and like you said about like climate change and everything as well like those are things I feel like the the past couple of generations have been more like hey like we need to wake up like we're gonna not have a planet to live on if you guys Mm -hmm. don't do anything about it so I, like I said, like, I think if we all kind of like put our heads together and we're like, okay, how can we change it? Like, let's come up with a plan, you know, then we could make some changes, but I don't know if it will because of how much people, you know, they don't want to believe the things they don't want to hear. And change is slow. Oftentimes the bigger it is, like when we talk about global things like climate change or even just getting through this godforsaken pandemic that we can't seem to shake um it's slow (laughs) turn the entire world in a certain direction if it ever gets there emma thank you so much for coming on because thank you for having me like you you, emma you have so much wisdom and you have so much insight um and you share so openly and well that I think like this is just going to be really wonderful for people to listen to so thank you thank you for being willing to come and like thank you guys for having me so so much I have enjoyed talking to every single one of you and you know talking about these crazy things that kids my generation right now do not want to talk about so Mm. I greatly appreciate the outlet because like Ann says I am very open to sharing so (laughs) I love talking about it and writing about it. You should write more Emma, about this kind of stuff. I don't know how to do it, but you have a voice. And so you should do that. Actually, I might send you this paper I wrote about because I told you about my mom, right? Yeah. Um, so I just wrote a paper for my new writ class. Also miss you. <laughs> but I wrote a paper for this new writ class about my mom. And mm. it's extreme like it's probably the first one that I actually read to my entire family at once and it made my entire family cry and that was the moment that I realized okay this is good like (laughs) this is a good paper so I might actually send you that to read over I would love anything anything all the time I'll send you it all yeah yeah yeah. you know I will (laughs) any letters of rec you want me to write Emma for real thank you (laughs) well thank you guys again for having me bye Emma I shall see you later Bye. Bye.